My name is Eva, and I love to watch House of the Dragon. And today I am going to talk about episode seven that aired only the other day. Now, I don't usually talk about TV shows on this podcast, but anyone who has listened to my podcast knows that I love to talk about well-written drama, and this most certainly falls in that category. House of the Dragon is based on the book by George R. R. Martin, he, of course, of Game of Thrones fame, and it tells the story of the zenith of the ruling house Targaryen and their decline by way of a bloody civil war that comes about as two factions of the Targaryen bloodline fight for the Iron Throne. Now, this will be a spoiler review of episode 7, and I will also mention scenes and details from past episodes. I am assuming that you have an idea of what's happened in the previous six episodes and also know the story. If you haven't seen this episode 7 yet, I would highly recommend that you do and then come back and listen to this, which will be my thoughts on themes in this episode and themes in this story. I'll just start with a short recap of episode 7, which opens as the royal household attends the very tense funeral of Lena Velaryon at her ancestral home, Driftmark. Later that evening, Aemon Targaryen, the younger son of King Viserys and Queen Alicent, sneaks out as he hears the wails of Vega, the largest and fiercest dragon in the world, which was written by the late Lena. Aemon, who, unlike his elder brother, has not yet bonded with a dragon, as a Targaryen is expected to do, successfully bonds with Vega, whom he takes on a midnight ride. Upon his return to the castle, he is violently confronted by the twin daughters of Daemon and the late Lyanna, and in the ensuing fight he is stabbed by Lucerius Velaryon and loses an eye, just as his sister Helena had mysteriously predicted in the last episode. While all this is unfolding, Rhaenyra, the daughter of King Viserys by his first wife and his named heir, finally gets to talk with Daemon, her uncle, with whom she enjoys a very complicated relationship ranging from the familial to the sexual. And on this night, the night of the funeral of Daemon's wife, their relationship finally veers towards the sexual and they share a night of love, if you can make it out in the dark, because this episode is so clouded in shadows and darkness. But when Aemon's injury is discovered, the seven hells of Westeros break loose, as it is now the parents of the fighting children who confront each other in the Great Hall of Driftmark, as the barely kept secret of who is actually the father of Rhaenyra's children surfaces. You see, Rhaenyra's children are dark-haired, while she, a Targaryen, is silver-haired, and her husband, Leno, is white-haired. But the children have brown hair and look suspiciously like Harren Strong, who has since passed away. The standoff in which those present are asked to take sides culminates in Alicent the Queen calling for an eye for an eye. 
And when this is dismissed by the king, she attempts to do it herself with the king's Valerian dagger, but ends up slashing Rhaenyra. The episode ends with Rhaenyra and Daemon agreeing to marry. They will wed with affection, yes, but it is also a strategic alliance to keep their children and their ambitions intact. To do this, though, that is to say to marry, they must first put away Rhaenyra's husband, who is still very much alive. And through a complicated plot, he is thought to have been killed by his lover until it is revealed in the very last scene that he is alive, he is sailing away, he is with his lover, and they are bound for Essos. Damon, having made a plot with Leonor and Leonor's lover, has killed a night watch so that they can burn his body and leave that body for the devastated parents to find. The episode is directed by Miguel Sapochnik and opens on one of his trademarks, that of small details and busy hands. This trademark goes all the way back to his directed episodes in Game of Thrones, like the first scene in episode 3 of season 8, The Long Night. In that episode, that very first thing we see are busy hands putting a dragonglass weapon into the nervous hands of Samuel Tarly. And in this episode, we likewise see busy hands managing the coffin of Lena Velaryon, who so tragically died in the last episode. The hands we see untie the ropes bound around her coffin as her coffin is returned to the sea in accordance to the Velaryon's belief. And the next 10 minutes in this episode are a splendid study in camera work to enforce the significance of eye work from the actors. Now, acting by looking and getting that across to the viewer can usually be done in two ways. Either the viewer gets a first-person perspective, as is often done in video games, or you as a viewer get to view the observer as they are watching others. That means we, the viewer, view the viewer. This allows us to integrate the context and the bigger picture around the viewer. Case in point, Rhaenyra stands symbolically alone amongst a crowd of her so-called family and friends at the funeral. She is surrounded by people, but she is so evidently alone. And in this situation, she tries in vain to catch the eye of Damon, the recent widower. She may in that moment see him as a kindred spirit, for he is also alone, and Damon is quite physically apart from the crowd. We see Rhaenyra viewing him, but as a viewer, we may also reflect on the fact that Damon, in that moment, is in fact quite close to his late wife, Lyena, for he is standing physically closest to the water in which she was buried. It is only later that we discover that Lyena's brother, Lyenor, is in fact even closer, standing waist-deep in his sister's watery grave. But from the perspective of others, not least Lyenor's father, Lyenor is standing where he should not. We also see Larys Strong, now Lord of Harrenhal, after having done to death his father and brother, throwing such glances at Alicent the Queen that those glances can only be described as smirks. We, as a viewer, see that his glances are noticed by the Queen's protector, Kristen Cole, who looks quite confused 
and it is us, the viewer, who can clearly see that Kristen Cole is oblivious. This is an example of that excellent camera work that is such a hallmark of House of the Dragon and, indeed, Game of Thrones. And it allows us to see how people in a world like Westeros can tell a story with a single glance. And in a world like Westeros, a single glance can be the difference between life and death. All this tension, suspicion and barely controlled anger and unspoken threats of violence converge to form two themes of this episode. One theme is truth as a two-edged sword, another is death and red. The truth is that sorrow on this occasion of a funeral of a young woman is a timid sister to all other emotions swirling in the air as the representatives of the powerful houses of Westeros brush up against each other. And it falls so heartbreakingly to the children to show a semblance of grief on a day of a funeral. One child timidly takes the hand of another, Yet even if they, in that moment, are weighed down by the ambitions, the sins, and the legacy of their elders. Significantly, though, the bond of sharing grief in that one moment does lead to an alliance amongst the two sets of children of Valerian and Targaryen blood. These children are, of course, the children of Rhaenyra and the children of Daemon. Yet the two-edged sword of truth is also that the children's bloody encounter in the middle of the night is completely taken out of their hands and used to fuel the rage of their parents. The young kindle of fire that spills into blood. And if this one episode tells a story, it is that the only thinnest leash of peace in the realm is the continued existence of King Viserys and all hounds of war will let loose once he dies. So even though he has been accused of being weak, the truth is that he is the only hand that stays the sword of civil war at the moment, even though he can hardly keep the peace, his mind already drifting as he accidentally calls Alicent, his present wife, by the name of his first beloved wife, Emma, when he is on his way to bed. This is another episode in House of the Dragon in which all the main characters are gathered in one space. Ten years ago, many of them were together in King's Landing, having arrived to celebrate a wedding that ended in tragedy. Now they are gathered at Driftmark to attend a funeral that will end in a wedding and a supposed death. Now, I know that there are many people who actually really like House of the Dragon for the fact that there are so relatively many scenes of all the main characters in the same space and interacting with each other. This makes for great drama, great tension. But I would say, and this is only my subjective opinion and indeed my own subjective taste, I loved Game of Thrones for having such a wide scope. And the fact that it took seven seasons for all the main characters to come together was something that I particularly loved. But I do understand and respect that other people like a more contained story. What is interesting about deaths in House of the Dragon is they do not herald a time for farewell or a time to grieve 
over the past. Usually, the time for grieving is very short because the dread for the future is very present. All who are present at this funeral in this episode, whether they knew the deceased or not, are all forced once again to consider their future as the balance of power is disrupted. House Valerian must once again consider what is their greatest asset as they once owned the fiercest dragon that during this episode is actually lost to another house. Otto Hightower, the reinstated hand of the king and his daughter the queen, now face the combined might of Rhaenyra and Daemon as they unite and no doubt will unite against House Hightower. This all comes about because all of these people meet at a funeral. This comes about, all of it, because of a death. The scenes of Aemon riding Vega are magnificent and magnificently filmed against the moon. Again, if you can see it, because it is rather dark. Yet, one can reflect on what does it actually mean to have the fiercest dragon bonded to a boy willing to lose an eye to gain the fiercest of weapons. It is a truth that the dragon accepted him, but it is also a truth, one might argue, that he stole the dragon from a grieving family. Again, the truth is a two-edged sword. It took a death for Aemon to cast away his dread and bond with a dragon. It took a death for the fiercest dragon to be found by a boy who now seems to be quite ruthless. So this episode does cement one thing. There is no bloodless path to the sharp-edged seat of the Iron Throne, nor is there any way to live or stay alive without the sharp edge of the sword to forward your own chosen truth. The truth is a two-edged sword. We as a viewer know that a civil war is coming between Rhaenyra and Alicent. But George R. R. Martin's compelling storytelling, that is the basis for this TV show, works much in the way as history does, in that you can find any number of incidents in past episodes where one might claim that the moment that actually started the war has come and gone. And what little detail might have been altered so that the future could have turned out differently? Was it the succession of King Viserys himself? Or was it the death of his wife? Or perhaps was it Alicent's decision to robe herself in battle green on the occasion of Rhaenyra's wedding? All those things set in motion actions that have led to death and dread. So, I really loved this episode because it included so many formats that I really love. The slow burn, the tension, the well-acted silence, and the quiet explosion with monumental consequences. I really look forward to next episode, and I hope I'll see you here as we discuss it. Until next time, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening.